Bienvenido, bienvenue, and welcome to Samaritan Conversations. In Luke's account of an event over 2,000 years ago, there's a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who was attacked by bandits. The priest saw the attacked person and opted to pass the other way. A Levite, a religious leader, also opted to pass the other way. Then, according to Luke's version, a certain Samaritan, someone outside of the religious establishment who was marginalized, stopped and helped. Samaritan Conversations is a podcast focused on community and business leaders who live as that certain Samaritan, that good Samaritan. Welcome to the show today, Samuel Kelly. Uh, Tell us a little bit to get started, if you will, Samuel, about your background, and uh, let's just maybe start from there. I grew up in a family of five, uh, a twin brother, and we were a very strict religious church-going family. Um, And as a lot of people that grew up in the church and are very dissatisfied with what they see, I went to college, uh, became a chemist, and completely questioned everything. Um, only because I was very close to those that ran the organization, um, would see one thing on Sunday morning and then see another thing throughout the week. I mean, just totally different. So I kind of thought, hey, religion's a sham, people running religion's a sham, and I kind of lost interest in the church. But an interesting thing happened as a chemist in a lab, you come across things that we have no answers for. And there are some things that were so amazing and so mind-boggling. All of us had to come to the conclusion, even the atheists in the lab, there's got to be something great out there is what was said. Mm-hmm. For me, it came back to the point where I saw God in everything. It was completely amazing. It shocked me because I, I, I lost my way. But based on what I saw, I knew without a doubt that God was present. I still was dissatisfied with the church because I couldn't find a place where I could truly ask questions and learn and understand. And I would go to various churches and their groups were like a club. You know, Mm -hmm. the church, if you weren't a part of the club, if you didn't act like me, you don't talk like me, then, you know, that's kind of tough. But I eventually came to know people that were in my lab that, Uh, I had no idea they said they were Christian because they didn't act like Christians. They talked to everybody. Um, It doesn't matter what their religious creed was. It didn't matter if they were straight or gay. These people, they were out there. And it was like, wow, they're friends with everyone. And that's when I learned um, what what I think we're trying to do here. Um, The Samaritan, I found out, was really not saying I'm only going to help people that are good. I'm not only going to help people that look like me, but I'm going to do to others the way I would want them to treat me. I'm going to love my fellow persons just like I want to be loved. And even if my neighbor happens to be an enemy, I'm going to love that enemy. And, you know, nothing's there to say that I can't reach out to them. So that became a turning point for me. And 
that was when I realized that God is really amazing and that he wants us to have more than just be closed off by our traditional religion, our traditional churches. But he does want us to um, experience him in uh, a more perfect way. But he doesn't want us to shut off who we reach out to and who we love. So that's, in a nutshell, where I came to see that God's power is amazing, um, spending time in a lab and just seeing things over and over again that we had no answers for. And um, that's where I really connected with God. That's when I saw Jesus not just as this religious cleric, but as a way of life where I can truly be free, truly not have to worry about who I can talk to or who I can um, try to connect with. So that's pretty much how I came around. And eventually I started helping people in the lab. I didn't have opportunity to help people as much. So I started a hobby helping people that were scientists and engineers with their foreign tax law problems with investments and eventually started a company um, because I saw where I can really help people. And it didn't matter who they were, they would come for uh, so-called financial expertise. And I was actually able to share life with them. So I, I kind of, um, there's a lot to unpack there because I feel like usually whenever I walk in a room in Atlanta or, or meet with people, um, the outsiders, people who moved to Atlanta are usually in the majority and didn't know this about you two, but both of you are native Atlantans. So <laughs> that's, I'm now in the minority as the outsider. So I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm thankful that you guys love people. And so you won't, um, you know, discriminate against me as a non-native Atlantan. <laughs> we're, we're really good Atlanteans though. So we'll just talk about you behind your back. Bless your heart. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> All right. So uh, a couple of different things that, that, that were interesting about that um, intro. I, if, I, if I may, if I could just pause a little bit. I like the, uh, the one of them was sort of the, the experience of growing up in the church um heavily in the church as a as a youth and then sort of diverging once you get to college so if you can i know it's probably been some time ago but not too long ago um when you're in college if you could just kind of share a little bit about the thinking then you know sort of free and away from the church um or, or expound a little bit into that like what led you more away from the church and then um we can kind of you know, maybe unpack that a little bit and, and talk about the, the coming back to the church because now you're more involved in the church, if, if you will. Yes, so it, unlike other, you know, high schoolers that graduate from high school and get, they go to college, I actually stayed on campus. Now you're truly free. You're not just free from parents, but you're free to make your own decisions. And I had a lot of questions while at the church that the answers were, oh, there are some things you don't know. There are some things you shouldn't even ask. But that was the answer to all my questions. So here I am, a freshman in college, away from my parents for the first time. Um, 
and I could do whatever I want. And of course, there was a lot of professors that were willing to teach me of their beliefs and their philosophy. And a lot of them were anti-Christian. So it was very easy for me to start questioning the same way they would question why, why would God just allow just one way to get into heaven? Why would he say um, everybody else can't get there? Or only weak-minded people need somebody to rely on or trust in. So at this point, I actually started looking into the text of other religions. You know, mm -hmm. took a look at the Quran, took a look at um, just other texts, started studying what they believed in and why they believed in it, and completely stopped going to church. I mean, at this point, it's like, why? You know, I'm questioning, you know, is this the only way? There's so much out there. Um, I'm not necessarily confused, but wondering, am, can I be wrong? Yeah. That was the doubt that a lot of professors would plant in the mind of a young, you know, impressionable student. I possibly could be wrong. Let me look at everything else out there and see if I am wrong. What yeah. was shocking was that a lot of the text would have similar things in it where people were searching for, let's just say God, um, because other, some religions don't necessarily say God, they, they have other things. And I thought, how amazing is that? Uh, everybody is searching for God, but there are some people that might call themselves prophets or um, they might be highly religious in studies. We'll say they know, I know who it is, so I'm gonna write a text. And I couldn't espouse to that. I was like, I, I don't know who, I can't say I know God, I'm gonna tell everybody this is who he is and you better follow me. So that was the interesting thing. But believe it or not, there was a group of people on campus that kept saying, hey, we, we want you to come meet with us. And they were just hanging out all the time. And I went to one of their meetings and they actually had a Bible that they were using. And this guy who went to class with me, he was teaching out of it. And I was like, this is weird. Why, why are you all doing this? This is it's not like church, but you guys seem to be really enjoying it. And, you know, I kept going because they, they're really kind. I always saw them on campus talking to all different type of people. They would not just invite them there, they would have these plays, um, really deep plays that weren't about church. It was about a character that was struggling with either um, drugs or um, diet issues. Then at the end, they would pray for people and just people from all different religions would come. And it was that turning point at the same time where I'm in the lab, things are just, unexplainable, amazing things. And I, through my studies, said, okay, I cannot exclude the Bible. I'm doing all this research on all these other religions. I would have to be a very ignorant person to exclude the Bible when I'm studying all religions. So now yeah. I've added the Bible to the text that I'm studying and it completely, completely blew my mind because I was using historical text when I got the Bible, it all matched up. It's like, this is crazy. A lot of things there were historical texts. Historical texts proved that Jesus existed. Other religious texts proved he existed. It was the spiritual implication that was different. 
So that's when the light bulb came off on to me because here now I'm actually using the Bible along with all these other texts and history to see, okay, did this really happen? Because I think that's what caused me to put the Bible down and yeah. stop going to church was they professors made me doubt that this even happened. Yeah, one of the things I, I kind of, um, part of why I asked you to expound on that is because there was a recent book that I read, uh, Irresistible by Andy Stanley, and he kind of talks about, um, you know, that time period and how easy it can be to put doubt. And part of why I think it's easy is some of what you said, like, you know, um, when you ask these questions, people go, don't ask, you can't know everything. So they sort of shut you down in the traditional church. And one of the things I've always said, um, especially when I was doing my own research, which uh, this is about you, not me for now, was I said, if I am to believe that God is all knowing, then that means he gave me a brain. And why would he give me a brain if I can't understand this a little logically? And so, you know, the whole idea of just because I said so just didn't work. And, um, and so I, I like, I like that. I think, um, you know, you had those questions and then you went and had the courage to continue to answer them. I also like that you went back to the historical evidence of Jesus, which is overwhelming. People gave their lives for him with all this uh, oppression that they were under all of the, you know, the Romans, everybody, they weren't idiots back then, you know, they were not marching to their deaths for something that didn't happen um, historically. And so the fact that there's at least proof that he walked the earth, proof that all of these things happen, you know, I think the church should talk more about that. And that should be more inviting instead of, um, you know, shut up and just <laughs> go along because that's what we say. So. And I, um, that I, I got a question for you. So um, through conversations my wife and I have regularly with young people, we notice a consistent theme with young people that um, have have grown up in faith and then they have a um, for lack of a better term a crisis of faith and then they either believe or don't believe you know so they they walk that that path we notice a reoccurring theme of an inauthenticity of the church younger age group um, and then they find someone who seems super authentic in their belief and vulnerable with how they think and consider themselves free thinkers or things of that nature. And there the challenge then lies in them. Did any of that play a part in some of your early decision making maybe? Um, the thing that turned me away was that very thing, that there was not authenticity. I was the child of a pastor. So I got to see that firsthand, but friends of being the child of the pastor and the co-pastors, their friends, seeing their real lives outside the pulpit was disturbing to me because um, this church is very strict, one of the strict type of, it wasn't quite holiness, but that was uh, what the church's pattern after. It was a, a so-called non-denominational but all the rules were holiness. You couldn't do this. You couldn't, you couldn't go to the movies. You had to wear things a certain way. And 
the way that the word was preached, they were so perfect that as a kid growing up, I figured I was never going to get into heaven because I would, I could never be that perfect. I try to do the right thing and I'll end up in trouble. You know, as a kid, you tell somebody, yeah. <laughs> after that, they just end up in trouble. So for most of my childhood, I, I felt like, you know, I, I'm never going to make it into heaven because I can't be perfect because they would always preach that from the pulpit. You have to be perfect. And I tried and it, it didn't work. And it wasn't until I got to college and found authentic people that said, you know, no one's perfect. You know, God is a forgiving God. He, he's after our heart. If you truly love him, truly accept him and follow him, then that's where it is. And I, I was so happy when I learned this. What I was trying to do up to that point was to be perfect, change my behavior, and I couldn't do it. And I was taught by these very authentic, kind, loving people that all you have to do, don't worry about trying to stop doing wrong. Follow Jesus. Put your eyes on him. Walk in his spirit, and he'll take care of that. And that's when I realized what the freedom was. Before, I wasn't free. I was constantly worrying about how am I, what I'm going to do to trip myself up. Though my focus was, was wrong because I couldn't do that. My focus Challenged with uh, self-righteousness versus imputed right. righteousness, if we were right. going to be really theological about it. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what the turnoff was because it's like, if you're going to be a part of our fold, okay, you can come in as you are for a little bit, but now you got to stop acting this way. You got to stop dressing this way. You got to stop talking this way. You got to stop associating with all these people. And I was confused because even as a child, I read the Bible throughout. I actually read it completely through. And I was upset because, and I remember I was a teenager at that point, a lot of the things I was hearing from the pulpit wasn't in there. It was an interp it was scripture taken and then someone interpreted and added a lot more rules to it. Mm -hmm. I was so shocked that I immediately started rereading re the whole Bible again. I read it through three times as a teenager, and that's when I was so despondent because now I've read it. I don't understand why they're acting the way they're acting because that's not what I see the way Jesus acted. But, you know, if that's the way churches think, then I don't want to have anything to do with that. And that's exactly what brought me back because now I found people to say, hey, you're right. The whole thing is Jesus. It's not all this other stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what, what turned me off was when I looked at Jesus, I didn't look at him as a spiritual person because I figured I wasn't going to go to heaven because I wasn't perfect. But what I did see is he was different. All the historical figures I've ever read, generally, they line up with their culture, but Jesus didn't. He was counterculture. You can even say Jesus grew up in a racist society and chose not to go with it. Mm -hmm. so yep. That was fascinating to me. Um, a lot of times, as a scientist, when I do research, I immediately pick on things that are outliers, because when you're trying to see what worked and what doesn't work, outliers either are a problem that helps you solve your issue, or it's a problem that's going to tear it down. Either way, you pay attention to it. And yep. when I realized, hey, Jesus was a different person, he said things that didn't make sense, right? Um, he said love your enemy <laughs> yeah yeah he said love your enemy 
But even in that, even when you talk, he started talking about a neighbor, he was like, love your neighbor as yourself. And it even goes further where it says you put others before yourself. So it's like, wait a minute. Okay, I can't never stop thinking about that. So all this time where I'm going away from the church, I'm still thinking Jesus is a very interesting person. So when my focus is brought back to, yeah, you, you, you're onto it. Jesus is the thing, okay? If you can truly love your enemies, if you can treat your neighbors as yourself and put others, others' um, needs before your own, which is totally opposite of what our body even says, because yep. our body is self first, um, that's when I realized there's something totally different about Jesus. When I look at all the other religions, there's nothing where the person is counterculture, the right. person or whoever it is, is putting everybody else ahead of themselves, even to the point of death. Why would I die for somebody I don't know? So these things, I, it just kept coming back. Um, if you do research, so now when I meet an atheist or a scientist who says, you know, there is no God, I don't argue with them. I just listen to them, I ask questions, and then I tell them, you know what? Um, I, I can't really tell you anything. I can't tell you what to believe or not to believe. But look, I want you to do one thing for me. Look up Jesus Christ, look at his life, look what he did and see how odd that was. And that's how I get into conversations because I know that's what happened to me. And it, yeah. it's, it's amazing because you can't, if everybody was to truly live like that, we wouldn't have the problem we have today, right? Yeah, because right. if I love my enemy, and I'm going to say it from both perspectives, if I love my enemy, love my neighbor, and my neighbor is, it doesn't have to be my next door neighbor, it's whoever is in my vicinity. Yeah. I'm a police officer. I'm not going to beat you down senseless. I'm not going to do things crazy because we're also doing to others the way we want them to treat us, right? So if I'm a police officer, why would I do something that would harm somebody when they're not truly a, a danger to me, okay? And if I'm the other person around, the police officer, if he's my enemy, Jesus says I have to love him. So that's why I think these Samaritan conversations should go along the lines of, we have to look at everybody as a brother or a sister. Yep. You know, it's funny how I can see somebody outside my family and be so upset with them and a brother or sister do the exact same thing. And I'm just like, you know, that that's just, that's just John. That's just Paul. You know, they go, they're going to be like that. We, we got to try to help them. Um, we know they don't mean it. We know they're dig, dealing with struggling with it. But if it's not John or Paul or, or Sarah, our sister, like what? Like, come on, throw me the key. So yeah. I think if we truly are saying we are going to be good Samaritans, we have to follow the example of Jesus. We have to look at everybody as a brother or sister. And even with enemies, we have to love them and allow um, the spirit to allow us to do that. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I think you kind of answered one or two other follow-up questions but I, I like the 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 notion of christ being counter-cultural um to his times 
But what also struck me was, and I don't know if you agree with this, was to some degree, he was countercultural even to our times now, you know, and you kind of, um, you know, you look at churches today and they're either, you know, there are churches that are conservative or liberal or, you know, but you look at, uh, if you were to look at Jesus and what you just said about countercultural, that says he really wasn't one of those. He didn't fit into those boxes. He was probably, you know, the conservatives would hate him and some of the liberals would hate him uh, based on some of what he said. And so that's, I, I thought that um, countercultural point was one that resonated with me. Jason, did you have anything that kind of stuck out? Um, sort of, I have a question that I'm noticing between our two stories, uh, and this may just be a good topic for us at this point, but I'm noticing we, we go by way of the three uh, passerbys of our core story by saying we, people go through possible phases of being the, um, of being one of the three people that yep. pass by, that pass by the robber or the uh, the hurt person on the road. Yep. And that in our lives, I think we do this, and churches will do the same thing. They'll do these pendulum swings of all the way left and all the way right um, until they find in the middle, or they they lean into the middle. And I think that comes with maturity, that we land in such a place where we are authentically and vulnerable with the Lord and allow him to begin to, I think Jeremiah says it best when he says he went down to the potter's wheel, right? And he formed him yet again, another, which is like this idea of we, we're made into something by surroundings or by the people that surround us. And then we continually are molded and shaped. And if we have nothing but a, uh, if we surround ourselves with nothing but an educational culture of professors, or if we surround ourselves with a, you know, uh, uh, um, anti-Christ culture, like, you know, maybe something that I've grown up in, or, you know, can't wait to hear your story, Sam, and see how it plays a part in this as well. But how did we, how did we swing like a pendulum back and forth in our lives that shows, man, I was way over here, you know, I was living in a holiness life all the way over here. And then you know, come out of college and I was way over here, just loose and had no idea of Christ. But then there was that moment where we come, you know, holistically center and, and say, you know, wow, shape me yet again, Lord, and let me then become a more excellent representation of who you are. And I think we play the same roles as those that would pass by someone on the, you know, street sick and hurt one moment. Uh, in our lives, but then later in our lives, we become the person who stops. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it, it definitely related to seed being planted in our lives. Um, because even though I was having trouble with the church as a youngster, um, my mother always made me and my four siblings remember scriptures in the Bible. And she was always fond of Proverbs and Psalms. So we would learn a lot of those. So even when times I, I wasn't there, that was there. And she was always, and the funny thing is, 
um, growing up, my, my parents would always tell us, particularly my mother, because she spent a lot more time making sure we learned this. She said, she would always say, yes, our, our people have been mistreated. Yes, there is hatred and there's racism, but we have to love all people like God loves them. She would always say that and I, I would hear it, but I didn't know what that meant until I got to college and I dealt with racism myself. And after I dealt with it, I decided to take a class where I learned more about um, how Africans were brought here, what was the mentality, what was the psychology behind it. And something weird happened. At that moment, I realized that my parents really never told me everything, um, like how bad it was. You know, they told me about civil rights, they told me what happened there, but they never told me about the whole slave trade, what they did to the women, what they did to break up the families. And when I'm learning this at college, at the same time that mm -hmm. I decided to turn my back on the church, I, I realized how easy it is to allow hate to hate and anger it starts out as anger and emits hate when there's no love present no true love okay. of god in the heart so uh, i'm i'm very upset and angry but then at the same time that's when i meet these other people on campus you know they look just like me but they're they're not allowing any of this to bother them and that's when i realized there was something in their heart driving them to do the right thing and that's what I wanted. And that's when I had a true um, experience and relationship with Jesus where now, you know what? I can truly understand what forgiveness is. I can truly understand what salvation is. You, you won't ever understand that until you realize that we ourselves have evil within us that if we don't accept and follow, um, regardless of what we call ourselves. I can call myself a Christian, I can call myself evangelical, but if his love is not there, then we're, we're going to be doing things that do not express love and do not cover others in love. And I found out that I was guilty of that because love wasn't there. And I was very happy that I did get the love of Jesus in my heart and anger didn't turn to hate, but love. And I think that's a, a conversation that I, I always have with people when we say, this is my truth, this is my viewpoint. Okay, that's fine. But are you coming at it from the perspective of true love? Even if I do talk to someone that has hatred, I don't let that stop me from having a conversation and letting them see that, you know, I still have love for them. Uh, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to, do treat them any different than other people because I know God can change their hearts just like um, he changed mine. Yeah, it's, I think we're back to, to, to yeah, absolutely. I think we're back to what um, you, you kind of talked about last Jason about just, you know, preaching with your actions, you know, cause there was something different about those people, Samuel, that you saw. And that was, that said more to you than, um, all of your years in the church about essentially, you know, in the story, I just really looked at it again. I was like, I know this is grabbing hold of something. And that's exactly what you're saying. You actually had a Samaritan 
um, sort of experience with this with these young guys um, and the representation of who they were, because yep. Jesus is responding to accusations of religious leader, a scholar who's challenging what it means to love your neighbor, essentially. And Jesus says, so let me tell you what it means to love your neighbor. And then even in the end, he says, now you go do it, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and challenges him to do the exact same thing. And I think that's what happened is you had an authentic view, uh, a really keen and authentic uh, view of what it meant to be Christ-like by these guys who just accepted you no matter what was going on uh, and then wanted to do the same thing with those around you. Yeah. I yeah. think that that's powerful. That's a powerful reminder of the things that you read as a child and as a teenager that no matter how hypocritical or, you know, the it seemingly was getting with elders and things around you you still had an authentic taste and seed like you said of the kindness of the lord and and his uh, and his leading you constantly to a repentant thought a a rethinking of everything around you yes i love how you're i love how you you are a thinker you are a free thinker you are you have to be a free thinker in your line of work you have to think through things completely you have to look at all sides of context and all sides of things and you have to find the thing that could be causing an issue within the chemistry of the things that you're kind of trying to figure out and i don't know too much about that i'm uh, nowhere near that type of thinker although i am a contemplative person where i'll I might hear something for two or three days and I'm just like constantly mulling it over. Did I really hear that right? You know, where is that at? And I want to, you know, I'll dig into it deeper. And I think it's necessary for us a lot of times, the counterculture of what Christ gave us and who he was mm-hmm. and those. T- and now as Sam pointed out more evident today that it seems it's just as counterculture, maybe even the opposite direction of an unholy or a, you know, really un. Yeah, I mean, for lack of a better term, I guess the best thing to say is, is, you know, an unholy world that is setting us up for um, a mosaic of thoughts. You know, there's this big uh, painted picture that's made of all different ideas and all different things. And you just pick one and choose one as you come along. Yeah, that can that definitely goes back. And then the Lord says, no, no, no. Let me tell you exactly what you should be and this is how you're going to do it and it's like okay very authentic in it i like that a lot that's cool yeah and one 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 last thing i i do want to mention about uh, race relations and people with different ideas Mm -hmm. because i was able to see that example um before when i grew up in the church if someone had ideas that were very different you were encouraged not to talk to them and after I saw the people just talking in everybody, now that's what type of person I am, even with clients. I have clients that are Republicans that are so far on the right that if they met some of my other clients that were Democrats so far on the left, there'll be a fight. But I could sit <laughs> down and talk to them. And I, what I found out is just like Jesus did, he didn't ask questions just to trip people up. He asked questions because he wanted to listen to hear what they're saying and they see him listening and then respond. One person was so far on the right and they were Republican and they were just bad mouthing all Democrats. You know, the funny thing is you, you, if you're talking to me, you don't know what 
type of person I am because I'm listening to him like, okay, all right, all right. And then I asked him, well, do you think that we're actually treating each other like brothers and sisters? And then it's a halt. Uh, you know what? So my thing is we should talk to everybody, different religions, different beliefs, mm -hmm. you know, whether they, you know, some people like they're Christian and like, I, I don't want to talk to people that are gay, lesbian, transgender. That's just awful. No, we should talk to them. We should yeah. talk to them because how else we plant the seed of love in their heart if we don't. So regardless of where somebody is and their beliefs or their thinking, I want to be in that conversation. Ivan, Ivan had a friend that was racist. And well, I'm saying friend because they called me a friend, but it wasn't a person that I would invite over and let them just fight with everybody. So I'll, I'll sit with this person and they, they tell everybody, hey, Sam is my friend. And so they're talking and I asked them, why, why are you talking about people like that so negatively? And you're saying those people. And they're like, yeah, they, they're lazy, this, that, and the other. And I asked them, well, what am I? Oh, you're, you're, you're different. You're, you're, you're <laughs> one of us. I was like, no, no, I, I'm, I, I'm, if they're using the term black, African-American, I say the same thing. I'm the same. Why, why are you compartmentalizing? No, no, no. You're, you're, you're one of us. You're, you're making us money. You're part of the thing. I'm like, no, I'm the same. People are people. And it's like, oh, okay. So you see what I mean? I think we should get away from just being comfortable be uncomfortable and don't argue the points of contention, but show um, compassion. And that, that's what I, I think if a lot of us would do that, even with the police brutality, uh, I think if I'm with a police officer, I encourage them to look at other people like it was their wife, their son, their daughter, you know, themselves. Or if it's someone on the other end, okay, you know, we don't know why they're doing what they're doing, even if you think they might be spiteful let let's try to calm things down so it doesn't get to a certain point so regardless of who i'm talking to it's yeah. not to say you're wrong you're wrong and i'm right it's say hey let's let's see if we can look at this situation and find a way to in essence show that people are people yeah, yeah it's um easier said sometimes than than done, but I, I think that's exactly the spirit. That's and, and I think it's easier said if you're gonna follow Jesus, that's easier said than done as well. And so it has to be uncomfortable and you have to do things that you might, you know, my first instinct sometimes is to go, this is right, and here are 15 reasons why. <laughs> uh, you know, and I've researched it. Because, you know, I spent the time looking at this on whatever the subject is, because I do, you know, wake up early just to spend time researching and getting all my facts in a row. So, but you're right, you kind of do need to pause and, and uh, you know, because sometimes people have their facts, even though it may not be as thoroughly researched as mine. That's all I'll say. Yeah, not me. <laughs> I'm not a researcher. I'm not going to research thoughts and ideas. Honestly, I'm really just not going to do it. But what I don't do is think that everybody's wrong if they don't agree with me. Yeah. Right. yeah. And so agreement, uh, I learned a long time ago, uh, my wife and I, um, 
listen to this uh, this guy that, that talks named Chris Ballican. He had a, a message one time that was all about agreement, and he said there's a a false religion in the world, and that's agreement. And he says that he he uh, he entered more than one occasion where agreement. Uh, if you didn't agree, then you must not love me. Mm. And mm. so, yep. you know, that ever since then, I've had this thought process. It, and no matter what the conversation, I can sit down and have a conversation with just about anybody about anything. I don't have to agree with you. I don't even have to have all of the debatable reasons why I don't agree with you. To be quite honest with you, if yep. I'm 43 year old man and I'm uh, and I'm stuck in my ways if that's what you want to call it or I'm ignorant in some things I really don't have a problem with that to be quite honest with you because my agreement doesn't mean that I can't honestly love you and and be in a relationship with you or and and be honest and vulnerable about who I am and what I think and and I have no problem with changing it if you can convince me otherwise I'm I don't I don't think that I'm I think that's the closed-mindedness of a mm-hmm. of a, of a people group that I think you spoke about earlier that just says <laughs> that's so that's yep. that's antiquated the antiquated thinking of uh, of a religious thought that they may not even believe in God and yet they still have religious thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. Uh, and Sam, you're right. You're you're definitely right. It's not it's not easy, um, but it's just like business, you know. We, there are things we know we have to do to just you, just things you have to do even if you don't want to do it yep. and I think this is exactly right I, I, I'm no superman you know I, I still have anger and frustrations but I don't let that lead me just want to thank you for being open and vulnerable I think you've kind of demonstrated again the Samaritan um, qualities so uh, on behalf of uh, Samuel, Jason, and myself, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.